Okay. Hi, oh, guys. Hi. <laughs> I'm glad nobody was doing anything dirty whenever that right? comes. Listen, it's a live show. We've got some kinks we're trying to work out. It's all good. <laughs> say, after I'm that glad start. I wasn't readjusting the girls right no now. Shit or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know that moment like when your mom walks in on you or something like that and you're doing something you shouldn't be doing? You're like, hi. <laughs> Usually right before I'm like wiping my nose and getting a sip of soda. And I was just about to do this and I'm like, oh, we're on. <laughs> okay. We're Hi like, we'll just, well, just go ahead and play Welcome that again. Welcome to Everything Vaguely yeah. Paranormal. <laughs> After that false start, good evening and welcome to Everything Vaguely Paranormal. I am Ryan Roberts. These are my partners in the paranormal, Blake Smith and Shelly Pruitt. How you guys doing tonight? <laughs> doing great. <laughs> now that we had a little giggle. Like that didn't happen. And just <laughs> I don't think we can. We don't lie to our own. We're no. doing great. Yeah. <laughs> no, fuck that shit. Let's leave that shit I, in there. Absolutely. It's going to make the final cut. Absolutely. <laughs> Just let it sit there like a big old turd in a punch bowl. Oh my God, how funny. Listen, you have some shit happen when you have a live show. It's just the way that it goes, okay? We're working out the kinks. We'll get there. It's all good. Sometimes your technology fails you and (laughs) things like that happen. Well, when you're out in the the middle of absolutely effing nowhere and your internet effing sucks, um, (laughs) we won't name company names, but... Um, you know, you have little hiccups every now and then. So, Absolutely. yeah, and, and my ring light was possessed about five minutes before we went all in. I really went out, and then I'm like, I plugged it back in. It looks good. It went out again. I'm like, okay, f you. I'm getting something else. Yeah. You know? So if Shelly goes dark at all, just, uh, just roll with you it. You didn't she'll, see nothing. She'll Absolutely. be. She'll be back. She'll be back. Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, I might just go to hell with it and go do something else. <laughs> Oh, well, y'all, I'm excited for tonight because it's just, I'm feeling it. False absolutely. start, funny moments. It's all good. Ryan, what you got for us? Come on. So speaking of hell, tonight we're going to be talking about the Jersey Devil. <laughs> it's a great segue. And so do, do you guys know much about the Jersey Devil? Do you have any prior knowledge of the cryptid and or folklore? I know enough to get into trouble and that I wouldn't want to cross it in the forest. I know that much. <laughs> can guarantee you that. Well, tonight we're going to get into exactly what it might be and some of the accounts of people who have seen it. But before we get into that, we kind of have to get into where it takes place. It's a Snoofalupicus, right? Yes, Snoofalupicus. <laughs> <laughs> but so we have to get into where it takes place. And where it does take place is in the Pond Barrens of New Jersey. Now, 
the Pine Barrens of New Jersey are a thick and desolate pine forest in South Jersey that make up about one-fifth of the, of the landmass of Southern New Jersey, and it covers about 1,700 square miles, and it's made up of these stunted pines for as far as the eyes can see. And while there are few people that live out in this pine forest, it is very sparsely populated. Even today, there are few people that live out there in this wooded wasteland. And the people that live out there were called pineys or pine rats. What y'all laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> you just pine keep rats. reading your notes. Just keep looking down, man. <laughs> pine rats. <laughs> so they were called pineys or pine rats. And they did not have the easiest time trying to live amongst the pines. Because the pine barrens are called the pine barrens for a, for a reason. The soil is absolutely barren, and it's not a good place to farm or a good place to raise a family. Now, it was in this desolate and use, like in this desolate conditions that the Leeds family found themselves in back in the 1700s, trying to farm the barren soil and trying to just get by and exist out in this pine forest. Fighting off the pine rats. Right, off the pine rats. <laughs> <laughs> so now we know the setting of the legend, and now we're going to get into the legend. And what the hell are you? <laughs> you eating on All right, guys. All right, guys. <laughs> we got a um, a sense of professionalism and decorum here because we're so professional at all times. <laughs> Shelly has lost her shit. I think she has. Um, I think she's broken somehow. I think she is broken. We don't know why. <laughs> People running for the pine ranch. <laughs> Ignore me. In a minute, <laughs> you about lost it. <laughs> All right, Shelly. I uh, am. I'm good. I just have this vision of these pine rats and these 1700s people dodging them. <laughs> God, we're gonna, we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. Tonight, it's gonna happen. We're gonna make it. <laughs> we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. I'm gonna mute your goddamn mic, Shelly. <laughs> Go ahead. Ryan. All right. I said, so now that we know the setting for the legend and just how hard it was for them to live out in the Pine Barrens, we can get into the infamous legend of the devil itself. So now Mother Leeds or Deborah Leeds lived in an area called Leeds Point at the mouth of the Delaware River, deep in the Pine Barrens. Now she was about 50 years old and she was a Quaker woman. And while she was a woman of faith, many in the area believed she was a witch. Um, there were rumors that she had dabbled in the darker arts. And plus, <laughs> so they believed that she had dabbled in the darker arts, and plus she had given birth to twelve perfectly healthy children. She never had Christ. a miscarriage or a deformed child in colonial America. Oh, good you know, God! Which was, like I said, which was very rare back then, and it was commonplace in early colonial America, in early colonial America, for tragedy to strike in early childbirth. So, because she had had that many kids and nothing had happened, then people were like, oh, she must be consorting with the devil or doing some kind of black magic in order to be able to do this. So, needless to say, people were a bit wary of Deborah Leeds. Now, Deborah Leeds and her family lived outside of town in the Pine Barrens. And like I said previously, this is a very hard existence. She and her husband and her children didn't have much. And like many people, they lived in a Garyan lifestyle. They were growing and farming what they could out in the infertile soil of the Pine Barrens, but the Leeds and their 12 children were able to get by on a meager existence. However, Deborah would soon get news that threatened to shatter that existence because Deborah soon found out that she was pregnant with her 13th child. 
She'll get busy out there. She signed the devil's book. She has signed the devil's book. <laughs> now, Deborah was not too pleased with this news. I mean, she already had enough trouble raising her current brood. She didn't want to add another mouth to feed. And she didn't really, you know, she didn't want to add another mouth out to her failing homestead because they were just getting by as it was. So in frustration, she threw her head back and yelled at the sky, I am tired of children. Let this one be a devil. And Uh-oh. soon thereafter, word got out and about around town just what Deborah had bellowed to the sky. The people in the area feared just what the occult-loving Quaker may birth. And soon, they would find out. Okay, hold on. Well, I got a question for you real quick. Because sure. how closely are we related to, let's say, the Salem Witch Trials at this time? This is like the early 1700s. What, Salem Witch Trials happened in 16... 1692. So we're actually on this the hills. Like 17, like 1701, 17, early 1700s. So, so she, is, she really did. Was still oh, yeah. Very yeah. Prevalent. Oh, sorry. No, oh, sorry, yeah. 17, sorry, 1731, 1735 area. Okay. Um, so we'll, we're, we'll still, later. we're still within <clears throat> a, the generation, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. So she really did sign the devil's book, damn it. Yeah, according Jesus. to a lot of people in the area. So in the devil's book. <laughs> Thirteen children and nothing wrong with her at that or, or, or the only twelve children with nothing. Twelve, wrong okay, with twelve, nothing twelve, wrong with twelve. Yeah, children, she's yeah. she's twelve with good, good <laughs> God. But the thirteenth child kids. would come later on that year. And on a dark and stormy night in seventeen thirty five, she birthed what would be called the Jersey Devil. So the mood in the birthing room was very tense because Mrs. Leeds was flanked on all sides by several older women from the Leeds Point community, all acting as midwives and waiting with bated breath to see just what she was going to give birth to. And these older women were aware of what Mrs. Leeds had exclaimed to the sky earlier that year, and they also knew that she dabbled in witchcraft. So they were a little tense, but they tended to her nonetheless and helped her deliver her child. And much to everyone's relief, when she birthed a healthy little boy, they wrapped him up and gave him to his mom and his mom kind of doted over the new little boy and everyone was happy because she hadn't given birth to something that they thought she was going to give birth to. So the joy and the adulation though soon changed into absolute terror because the baby's torso began to writhe and elongated into a snake-like shape. Its feet gnarled and turned into hooves. Its face turned into that of a horse and bat wings sprouted from its back. It stood up on its hind legs and grew to the size of a full-grown man. And it sprouted a forked tail at the base of its spine and swung it with great force, striking everyone in the room, including the mother that had cursed it so. It let out an earth-rattling scream and crawled towards the fireplace. Now, in that fireplace, there was a massive stoking fire. But it didn't seem to phase the beast as it crawled into the fireplace and flew up the chimney and out into the night thus beginning one of the most prolific legends and cryptids in U.S. history. And ever since then, people have encountered a strange being in the Pine Barrens that defies all logic and explanation. So she birthed this thing out her hoo-ha. <laughs> yeah. And... Well, it was, a, it was, it was a, a regular kiss at first, but then it turned into whatever the, that is. That's, that's the legend. A, that's the clinical term, by the way, hoo-ha. Um. <laughs> now, now, Ryan, didn't it escape up the chimney? Yeah, that's what I said. Like it crawled up the chimney and flew out into the night. And flew like out it, into the night, yeah. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And it crawled through fire to get there, according so to wait, the wait. legend. Before we go for it, because I wanted to. So mm-hmm. is it is it 
just rumored that she dabbled with witchcraft or yeah it was rumored um i couldn't find like any hard evidence that she had not because like i said this is also just the legend so we don't know much about her we just know that this is the legend of what happened okay sorry because i'm like knee deep in the salem witch trials right Mm -hmm. now breaking news um there might be a miniseries coming up um i'm like knee deep (laughs) in the in the salem witch trials right now so like i'm i'm kind of like this is Mm -hmm. actually kind of fascinating right now that i'm just like I'm tying a lot of shit yeah, together. You, as we go forward, you'll kind of see a lot of parallels to what's going on with what you're researching. It's pretty interesting. Huh. So, well, since this thing has gone out into the wilderness, people throughout history have encountered this thing ever since you know the legendary Leeds Devil left Leeds Point. And one of these people was Commodore Stephen Decatur. In 1819, at the urging of President James Monroe, Commodore Decatur went into the Pine Barrens to check out the cannonball production for the U.S. Army. They had started producing cannonballs at Hanover Millworks. It was deep in the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Now, by this point in history, many industrial businesses had moved into the Barrens and made use of the massive sprawling land area because it had poor soil and nobody was going to farm it. Why not use it for something else? So the commander was supposed to ride out there and inspect the quality of the cannonballs that were being made out there at the Millworks. And while he was riding through the Pine Barrens around the Millworks, the Commodore saw a creature that matched the description of of the devil from the Leeds legend. He couldn't believe what he was seeing with his own two eyes. A legendary beast from the pits of hell stood right in front of him. And he did what any respected Commodore of his day with access to the massive firepower would do. He ordered one of his cannons to be loaded so he could shoot a live round at it. Hell yeah. <laughs> I like this guy. Smart. Like motherfucker, I'm going to take you out. Yeah. Why not? Shoot it. <laughs> shoot it. Yeah, shoot him, boy. Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, Troy, shoot him. <laughs> so he aimed his cannon and delivered a mighty cannon blast right to the creature. But much to his chagrin, it didn't even phase it. The creature just retreated back into the woods as if nothing happened. And Commodore Decatur was left scratching his head like, what the hell did just happen here? I don't know what the hell we even saw. So... You had a question? No, I just had a comment. Do you think that, sure. like, maybe the the Jersey Devil, the Leeds Devil, like, you know, tries to go out and make friends, and then he gets hit with a cannonball, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes back to his mom, and he's like, "Well, it's just another Wednesday," you know, <laughs> like, like Frankenstein, <laughs> friend, friend. <laughs> it's just curious, just a random thought that went through my head. Nobody understands me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe he's just a misunderstood juvenile that needs love and tender care. Give me a hug. <laughs> So shortly after the Commodore's encounter, the Jersey Devil would again cross paths with history. Joseph Bonaparte, former King of Spain and brother to Napoleon Bonaparte, had immigrated to the U.S. in 1817 when things kind of went south for him and his family in Europe. And after living for a while in Philly, he settled at a large estate called Breeze Point in Bordentown, New Jersey. Now, Joseph was well-liked. He was friendly and stately and well-connected with prominent political figures of the day. And he was not one to tell tall tales. But one day he would encounter something that seemed like it was right out of a tall tale. One day he was in the woods hunting by himself, not far from him estate, from him estate, from his estate, as he was known to do, because he enjoyed the tranquility and the peacefulness of the wilderness. And he liked to be out there by himself and immerse himself in like the quietness of the woods. And it wasn't long until Joseph spotted a set of strange tracks. Now, while he was an avid hunter, he did not recognize the animal tracks that were being made. So he followed them deep into the woods. And then he heard a noise. It was a weird hissing sound that he had never heard. 
And not only had he never heard that noise before, but it was coming from right behind him. Oh, fuck that. So Joseph <laughs> wheeled around and came face to face with something that he wished he hadn't seen. It was the visage of the devil himself. It had a long neck, legs like a crane with hooves for feet, stumpy arms, and a horse-like face. Joseph stood there frozen, frozen in fear because he couldn't believe what he was staring at. And both he and the creature locked gazes and stood there for a few minutes just looking at each other, neither of them moving a muscle, until the devil hissed at Joseph and then flew away. Now, Joseph didn't want to stand around and waste any time just in case the creature came back. So he bolted home and got the hell out of Dodge. And he ran up. He, as soon as he ran home, he went and found some of his friends some in, in the local area and told his friends exa- exactly about what had happened. He regaled them with his strange encounter that he had had out in the woods. Joseph had seen the Jersey Devil, and he didn't know it because his friends all turned white and told him exactly what he had saw and were amazed that he had lived to tell the tale and come tell them about it. So... He lived for many, many years after that, realizing that he had seen the Jersey Devil. But the rest of the time he was in New Jersey, he never saw it again. He only saw it that one time. I mean, how sure was he that it was the Jersey Devil? Because sometimes I do that to people whenever I meet them and I don't like them. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, hey, I'm Blake. You know, just... <laughs> I don't think you have a forked tail and a horse face. So I, think I probably don't. I mean, to some people, I bet I do. I mean, I mean you might at some point, but... But the point is, is he never forgot about what he saw. And after Joseph's sighting of the creature, you know, for a time, it was only spotted sparsely. Usually some unlucky soul who had wandered into the Pine Barrens late at night and came face to face with whatever was out there. But in 1909, things would be different because the devil would expand its domain and terrorize nearby cities in what would be called the Phenomenal Week. So the phenomenal week lasted from January 16th to January the 23rd, 1909. And during that week, there were a rash of unbelievable Jersey Devil sightings throughout the Delaware Valley. Thousands of people saw something that they couldn't explain, and they either encountered the creature or they saw evidence of it, namely by its strange footprints in the snow and tracks around the area. Now, the first of these sightings occurred in the wee hours of January the 17th. A man named Thack Rosins, yes, that is his name. <laughs> um, of Woodbury, Fact. New Jersey. Old Thack. Thack Old Thack. Of, Wood- <laughs> of Woodbury, New Jersey, was the first to observe something strange that week. Now, Old Thack was leaving the Woodbury Hotel that night, and when he heard a strange hissing noise, just like what Joseph had heard in the woods so many years before. <laughs> when he turned around, he saw a white figure fly across the street, and contained within that figure were two white glowing spots that he perceived to be the eyes of whatever this thing was. He then said that the creature disappeared, moving very fast in a puff of white smoke and just got out of the area. And while that was the end of Thack's encounter, the devil was not done that night. Because across the river, in, across the Delaware River in Bristol, Pennsylvania, John McCowan woke up at about 2 a.m. He heard his baby girl crying in the other room, so he went to check on her. But outside of his house, he heard the most peculiar noise that he couldn't explain. He said it was like a loud scratching noise, like a record being placed on a phonograph. John didn't know what was making the noise, so he looked out his window, and what he saw was a large creature by the canal on his property. And whatever it was, it looked like some sort of like an eagle and hopped along the footpath. John, not knowing what it was, calmed his daughter down and thought it was better he just go back to bed and not interfere. He was like, 
but uh, I don't care. I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> I didn't see nothing. I didn't That's hear right. nothing. I'm yeah. going back to bed. Like, That's okay. my kind of guy. Deuces. <laughs> now, shortly after John McCowan's encounter, the devil was spotted again by a local patrolman. And Officer James Sackville was out on, on was out and about making his rounds that night. But suddenly, several nearby dogs began barking intensely. So Officer Sackville turned around to go see what all the commotion was about. And when he did, what he witnessed terrified him. He was face to face with a winged beast that hopped like a bird, but it had the feathers of an it had the features of an animal that he had never seen before, and it let out a horrible scream. And Officer Sackville mustered up all the bravery in his body, and decided he was going to charge this thing. So he charged right at the grotesque monster in front of him, but the creature hopped away from him, and so. He did the only thing he knew to do, and he drew his service revolver and shot directly at the creature. But the bullets did absolutely nothing, and the creature flew low to the ground towards him and then shot upwards and out of sight. I'm just having this really weird vision in my brain of, like, this sergeant or dude, like, running down the trail after this thing. And it's like, no, (laughs) you can't catch me. No, you're not going to catch me today. (laughs) Now, about the time of Sackville's encounter, Local postmaster E.W. Minister awoke in his bed. He sat up from a dead sleep because he heard an undefinable noise outside of his house. A noise he said that almost sounded supernatural. He walked over to his window and looked in the direction of the noise. And much to his surprise, he saw a creature flying over the Delaware River. It had, it had a ram's head with curled horns and long, thin wings with short legs, with the front legs being shorter than the back legs, and it was glowing like a firefly as it flew across the river. It let out a shrill noise that ended in a low, hoarse tone and flew away until it was out of sight. And Minister wondered what the hell he had just seen, and there was no explanation for what he had just seen. But the fact was that that night, two different government officials saw something that they could not explain in the same area. These weren't just, you know... These weren't just your run-of-the-mill people. These were respected government officials in the town. You had the police officer and you had the postmaster who both saw this happen that night. So, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Is that was oh, that one of the newer pictures that someone? Had, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Someone claimed to have photographed the Jersey Devil, um, and that's a newer photo. Oh, that's uh, mm-hmm. looks kind of like a mixture between you know a goat being launched across the yard a horrible halloween prop <laughs> looks like a flying kangaroo to me <laughs> that's what a lot of people actually said a lot of people like said that it looked like a like kangaroo like almost um when they saw it but on monday the 18th the next day many people in the area saw a lot of strange tracks on their property tracks that they had never seen before and many people reported these peculiar tracks in freshly fallen snow and they seemed to defy all explanation because they would skip from rooftop to rooftop rooftop and then they would go across fields and over fences, and they would appear for a few yards, but then they would abruptly stop. But the strange thing about these tracks is that dogs refused to go near them. They didn't want to track whatever the hell it was. And clearly, the people of the Delaware Valley had something strange on their hands. So the next day, on Tuesday the 19th, January 19th, the devil awo- <laughs> he awakened the Evans family in Gloucester, New Jersey. At about 2.30 a.m., Nelson Evans and his wife heard a strange noise outside of their home. They looked out their window and observed the devil for about 10 minutes. 
walking back and forth on the roof of their shed. They said it had a head like a collie with a fa- with the face of a horse, with a long neck and wings about two feet long. It stood on its hind legs, which were crane-like, with horse hooves at the end. And after they listened to it clamoring on the roof for about 10 minutes, Mr. Evans decided he had had enough of whatever the hell it was. He got up, all the bravery in his body, and went up to the window and opened up the window and stuck his head out and yelled, Phew! at the beast to get off of the shed roof. <laughs> Just get hoping on, it would work. Get, I was to say, get on. In, get out of here. In Southern, that is, you run out on the back porch and holler, Yeah! Yeah! now they just hoped that it would work but the devil turned its head towards them and barked and then flew off into the night wait now wait now it barks yeah Yeah, now it barks apparently so that was the end for that was the end of the encounters for tuesday but wednesday the 20th whoa tuesday is busy oh yeah this thing this whole week this thing is busy and there were hundreds upon hundreds of accounts so these are just a few that i was able to pull So, early that Wednesday morning, George Snyder was out fishing. He was enjoying the quiet and stillness of being outdoors. But that would soon be shattered when he looked up and he saw a creature across the river, and the creature was something right out of his nightmares. What he saw standing on the other side of the river made his blood run cold. It was nothing like anything else he had ever witnessed. It was three feet tall with long black hair, and it had arms and hands like a monkey, with the face of a dog, with split hooves and a tail about a foot long. So George sees this thing and he decides to pack it in. He's done fishing. He goes on home. Wait a minute. Like, now this description of this monster has changed with every single sighting. Now it's got long dark hair and it's got arms like a monkey. This one, and- this one almost sounds like a Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my, minus the tail and the hoofs, obviously, but it, it, it does it does a little bit. And I think there are some similarities that the Jersey Devil and Bigfoot kind of share. Um because some of them, some people did re- re- report seeing long, stringy hair on whatever this entity I don't think was that they saw. Talking about the same creature, one of them is like has hooves and and crane legs and the head of a goat. One of them has the face that looks like a collie, but a long head and a long neck. One has dark mm-hmm. hair. One has monkey arms. I think they're not talking about the same creature. It doesn't sound like it. I mean, that if it's just one creature and there's only one. Mm-hmm. It should have a consistent look to everyone who sees it. So far, we've had three different descriptions. I'm with you three. on that. I'm with you on that 100%. But later on, I think I have a reason as to why there's so many different descriptions of what people are seeing. Unless well, if it, has is... little, if it has little tiny short arms and bat wings on one of them, mm-hmm. and monkey arms and hooves and a horse head or ram's head on another, it's not the same animal. Lessness a rabbit and a horse are two very different things, yeah. you know. So this one's only three feet tall that the fisherman sees. The mm-hmm. other one's reporting that they're they're it's big. So sounds the, like different creatures, unless that thing just multiplied, <laughs> you know. Or unless Mrs. Leeds signed the devil's book again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to change the appearance of her son. To she's like, you know what? I, 12 is too many. Let's go down to 11. And then a year later, she's like, fuck it. 10 sounds good. That's a round knees even number. Why not? <laughs> she's having lots of demon babies. <laughs> but I do like George's reaction. He's like, I'm done fishing. Time to go home. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sticking around for this thing. So the next day, that Thursday, the 21st, the devil decided to visit the big city. He made a foray into Philadelphia and scared the wits out of a Mrs. J.H. White, 
At around 4 p.m. that afternoon, Mrs. White was going to check her clothesline, and she was descending the stairs in her backyard with a bag of laundry when she noticed something animal-like in her backyard. But it didn't match the description of any animal she had ever seen. So determined to see what it was, she moved forward, and as she did, it stood up. She had greatly underestimated the size of this creature. As it stood up, it measured to be about six foot tall and towered over Mrs. White. It was about that time that she noticed its skin was scaly like an alligator's. And with, and with that, the creature stood up on its hind legs and spewed flames out of its mouth. Now it's Mrs. a dragon. <laughs> Mrs. White was so utterly terrified that she screamed with every ounce of strength in her body. She screamed so hard that her body shook and she fainted. Now, Mr. White inside heard all the commotion in his backyard, so he jumped up and sprinted out the back door. As he burst through the door, he found his wife unconscious laying on the ground with a giant alligator-like beast skewing fire in his backyard. So he did the only thing that he could do, and he grabbed some of the clothes from the laundry basket and ran towards this this creature swinging the clothes wildly at it to try to get it to leave and leave him alone, leave his wife alone. I like how Ryan leads into every story like that, how they get ready. He did the only thing that he could do. Like he crosses this fucking monster every single day. Like, Oh, it's just, <laughs> it's just Billy the goat. Just get on out of here. Shoot you, you know, and chase him with some I clothes. Mean, <laughs> he never, like he, he didn't have anything. I mean, I guess he was like, uh, what do I use for a weapon here? Uh, I got it. Clothes. Yeah. How, about wife, how about the basket? How about you bring the clothesline? I mean, <laughs> how about you take off your belt? I mean, you got a better shot with that to beat it off with. Than, here, let me use my wife's underwear. What? <laughs> it's like he was trying to put out the flames. I get it. Stop, drop, and roll and smother the flames. But that ain't going to do nothing with that alligator thing bites you. That's ridiculous. Go ahead with your fabulous story. So the monster hopped the fence, running away from Mr. Uh, Mr. White. So this alligator can jump now. It jumped okay. the fence and ran down the alley, still spewing fire. And Mr. White watched it run down the alley. And after he was sure it was gone, he called the family doctor for his wife. The doctor came and had to work on Mrs. White for about an hour to revive her and return her to her previous state. Clearly, she had seen something that shook her to her very core. Now, after this monster flees the White's backyard, a few streets over in the middle of downtown Philadelphia, a man driving a car almost hit something, and what he almost hit, he describes exactly what the Whites saw. So, what the hell is this? Is this an entirely different creature altogether? What's going on? Sounds like what? three different creatures right now to me. <laughs> Sounds like well, whatever the few, creature yeah. was, it returned to its home state that evening, back into Camden, New Jersey. At about 7 o'clock that evening, Mrs. Mary Sorbinski let her dog out. She heard a ruckus outside and went to check it out. And just before she did, she wanted to see what was going on, but she grabbed a broom just in case she needed it uh, to fight something off out in the yard. And so when she opens the back door and goes outside, she sees her dog in the grips of a hideous creature. And Mrs. Sorbinski acted fast and slapped the beast with her broom. And it let her dog go. And let out a god-awful noise. And, and she said it was somewhere between the hooting of an owl and the growl of a hyena. It flew towards Mrs. Sorbinski and, and at the last moment veered off and flew away. After yeah, don't left, mess with an old woman with a broom. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. What, this is in the 1900s now? Yes. How the fuck does she know what a hyena sounds like? I was about to say the same thing. How does she uh, I assume they like? had zoos. I assume they still had <laughs> zoos and she could have went to the zoo and found out what a hyena sounded like. Yeah, I, I guess. 
I don't know. I got real confused by that. I mean, she, she does live in Philadelphia. Well, she lives in, sorry, she lives in Camden, New Jersey. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So yeah, maybe my... there was a Camden Zoo and she had figured that out. But that's what she says. What an odd descriptive, though, for for like that time period. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, it sounded like either, what an did owl, you say? It's like, an, owl, an owl. An owl. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the growl of a hyena. Mm-hmm. I would I would be more apt to, to believe her if she said the the growl of a lion. She could probably had probably at some point, but a hyena. I mean, that's just that's very a hyena has that high pitch. Yeah, that yeah sounding sound. Yeah, we're yeah. in 2023, and I don't even think I could imitate a hyena sound. It's got a higher pitch, it's like, a, like whoop, more like whoop, a yell, something like, like that. A like it's kind of like it. Yeah, like they have like a high pitch, like chortle sound. You're just I, trying to get. Right I knew it. I knew what it yeah. sounded like. I just wanted to hear y'all make the noise. Uh huh. <laughs> Go that's ahead. Why, that's why I pulled up. I'm Go like, ahead. Nope. I'm Go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. So it flew towards Mrs. Sorbinski, but at the last moment, veered off and flew away. After it left, she picked up her injured dog, and the poor thing had a piece of flesh ripped from its side. Mrs. Sorbinski screamed in anguish for her hurt little doggy, and her her neighbors heard her cries and rushed over to check on her. Finding her in hysterics, they summoned the police. When suddenly, from a nearby hill, they heard the creature shriek. So two of the policemen at the scene ran in the direction of the sound. The two officers spotted the dastardly creature and pulled their service revolvers. They fired at the creature, hoping to end its reign of terror once and for all. But much to their surprise, the bullet seemed to have no effect, and the creature spread its wings and flew off into the night. I mean, we should know this from the early 1700s when a cannonball was fired at it and nothing happened. Like, you don't <laughs> think that didn't make bulletproof. Like that yeah. didn't make the lore and legend somehow? I mean, come on. I right? fired ye cannonball at it and ye, ye cannonball <laughs> did not a damn thing. <laughs> so by that Friday, the creature had caused such a great stir in the Delaware River Valley. It had struck fear into the hearts of the residences and people... Had, now, people had read about the encounters with the beast in, pre- in, the, in the newspapers and heard from neighbors about encounters with the beast. So the whole area was whipped up into a frenzy, and they were afraid to leave their houses mm. in fear that they, too, may encounter a demon from the depths of hell. So, so many people didn't leave their houses that the mills in Gloucester and Hainesport closed that day. The schools closed for lack of students, and people battened down the hatches and tried to wake the monster out. But interestingly enough, besides a few more minor sightings, the creature seemed to vanish or it went back into the Pine Barrens. What had caused this creature to venture out and terrify the people in the city? Did the creature even exist? Was it mass hysteria? What was it? Now, while the entire Delaware Valley was left to ponder this question, there were scammers and hucksters that saw dollar signs to be made out of this. Two of these hucksters were Jacob F. Hope and Norman Jeffries. They decided that they would seize the opportunity of such a mass sighting and decided they were going to make a little bit of money off of it. Now, Hope was an animal trainer, and Jeffries was a publicist for the local dime museum in Philadelphia. They put their heads together, and and they came up with a plan to capitalize on the devil sightings. So they concocted a story and put out ads where they said that Hope had had a creature in his possession. The creature was not the Jersey Devil. It was a rare Australian vampire, and it, and it, had, and it had escaped. What wait, people I, were seeing... He, wait, 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 wait. He had an Australian vampire? Or that's what he a said. Bat? He said he had an Australian vampire. It was the rare Australian vampire, is what he said. And it had escaped. 
Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the, they're dime store museum people. They're trying to get drum up business. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know what the dime store museums the dime store are, dime they, museums, yeah. yeah, they were pretty much ho- hoax museums where, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, that P.T. Barnum spinoff later on, you know, they yeah. had all of that weird kind of stuff you'd see in Oddity and Curiosity. Like Fish Girl. Yeah. Like Fish Girl. Yeah, the mermaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mermaid and yeah, yeah, that all that stuff. stuff. The dog face boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or Bat Boy. <laughs> I love Bat there Boy. There you go. Me too. So what people were saying was not the Jersey Devil, but was Hope's escaped animal. Hope also stated that it was carnivorous and had a huge appetite, and he offered a reward if it were captured. Now, this is where Jeffries comes into the scam, because to keep up the ruse, Jeffries drove to the Tenderloin District and rented a kangaroo. Jeffries fashioned a kangaroo with bat wings and painted stripes on it. He then hired 20 guys dressed like farmers and townspeople, giving them pitchforks and nets, and drove the actors and the kangaroo to the Huntington Park in Philadelphia. And there he staged an altercation with the farmers and the quote-unquote Jersey Devil. This poor kangaroo. <laughs> what These the farmers The kangaroo's like, fuck, thing. man, let me go back to Australia. What the fuck can I do to get <laughs> Where do you here? get a kangaroo? Uh, he rented it, apparently, from the asking, <laughs> asking, Asking for a friend. I'd like the to know where me. you. I'd like to know where to get a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the Tenderloin District somewhere, wherever the hell that is, and rent it there. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, the farmers cornered the farmers and townspeople cornered the devil in the park and captured it with a net and took it over to. Uh, what was it? They took took it over to uh, the Dime Store Museum guy. Well, I'm blanking on. Sorry, blanking on his name. And over to Hope? Jeffries. It was Jeffries, yes. Took it over to Jeffries. And Jeffries told people that you could come to the dime store and see the captured beast. So people started lining up to come to the dime store to see exactly what it was that they caught. The now, fake wing kangaroo. Yeah, yes, okay. the fake wing kangaroo. Now, having caused a ruckus and proclaiming the capture of the beast, Jeffries began charging money at the museum for people to come and see it. He set up a large stage with old gnawed bones on the floor and then placed the doctored kangaroo onto the stage. When the audience came into the room, the curtain would rise, and they could stare at the oddity while it was up there. But the kangaroo didn't always feel like performing. So <laughs> Kangaroo so had Jeffrey, an attitude. <laughs> yes, it did. So Jeffrey stationed a boy with a stick with a nail nailed into the end of it at the back of the stage. And when the audience came in, the curtain would rise, and the boy would poke the poor beleaguered animal, and the kangaroo would begin to thrash about, just long enough for the audience to catch a glimpse of the fierce animal in action. Then the curtain would fall and leave them wanting more. Now, while sightings of this creature and the generated hysteria around such a thing may account for some of the sightings in the Delaware Valley, it does not account for them all. Too many people saw something for it to have been nothing, and for it to have been a doctored kangaroo. So the question is, what is the Jersey Devil? And that question still remains. But to explore what the Jersey Devil is and what people seen, people had seen, we first have to go way back to the beginning and dispel the legend of the Jersey Devil itself. So the legend started with Mother Leeds and her devil child. But maybe that part of the legend was politically motivated. And it starts with the patriarch of the Leeds family, Daniel Leeds. Now, Daniel Leeds came to America in 1677. He settled at the mouth of the Delaware River in what would later be called Leeds Point. And Daniel was a Quaker. He was also a writer and published many pamphlets and almanacs. 
Now, these pamphlets and almanacs were a very popular means of sharing information and getting things around to people during the colonial times in America. Mm -hmm. And while Daniel's almanacs were very popular, his were a bit different because while being a Quaker, Daniel was also into the occult. And he heavily favored astrology in his almanacs. Oh, are Quakers allowed to do that? Um, Technically, no. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so the Quakers in the area took umbrage with Daniel's almanac. They viewed, astro- they viewed astrology and anything related to the occult as witchcraft. So they accused Daniel's family of practicing witchcraft, even though there was no evidence they had ever practiced, period. Now, Leeds was floored by their reaction and their accusations. He knew several Quakers from the accusing party that were also into the occult. Although they never would admit it, they read his almanac and thoroughly enjoyed it. And several of these accusers were Daniel's friends. They were all hypocrites. And instead of embracing Daniel's work, they shunned him and made him a pariah in the community. So Daniel decided to get even. He began publishing anti-Quaker literature. And just to get back at his former friends and his former religion. Mm. The most popular being A Trumpet Sounded in the Wilderness in 1701. In it, he wrote about Quaker's salacious practices, talking about who was sleeping with who and who was getting drunk and basically spilling all the beans about the Quakers. Oh, in there. So he wrote, he wrote a trash bag. He wrote he a did. gossip column. <laughs> he wrote, yeah, he wrote a gossip rag just to get back at his former religion and friends. Come on, dear Abby. <laughs> now, prominent Quaker Caleb Pussy caught wind of this. <laughs> you okay, Blake? I'm sorry. What was his last name? Pussy. P-U-S-E-Y. Pussy. Sure didn't Pussy. Uh, or, or Pusey. Pusey or Pusey, Pussy, Pusey, Pusey. I don't know. <laughs> I might go with Pusey just, Pusey, just I, because. I, I heard it pronounced Pussy. That's what I heard it pronounced. I don't know. Anyway. Wait, what? That's what I heard. I heard it pronounced Pussy. Oh, my God. I'm trying to see how many times I can get him to say it, Blake. Next. Pussy, pussy, Next. Pussy. Next. Pussy. Next. Pussy. Before we get banned off the air. Uh, <laughs> the man's name, Mr. Pusey. We're going to so, call him Pusey. <laughs> So he caught wind of this and was livid that Leeds had besmirched the good name of Quakerdom. So Pussy wrote a book called Daniel Leeds Just called Daniel Leeds Justly Rebuked. Then Leeds being more mad about the Quakers and what Pusey had published. Thank you. <laughs> he published another book called The Rebuker Rebuked, aimed at Pusey and the Quakers who had justly rebuked him, quote unquote. This two, these two continued to trade public barbs and continued to like print trash mags about each other and continue to print books about each other and go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for years. But Pusey was able to use his status and influence to convince a large part of the local population that Leeds was pure evil and consorted with Satan, actually going as far to call as to call him, quote unquote, Satan's harbinger. So Damn. So you have that piece of the puzzle. You have you have the Leeds family being demonized by the Quakers, saying that they consort with the devil. On top of that, you have Daniel Leeds also making political enemies and getting into political fights. Because Leeds supported and counseled a very unpopular royalist governor named Lord Cornberry. Now, this did him no favors and got him into several I'm sorry. Hold on. Go ahead. Political fights. Yes, we'll pause there for a second. These last names are effing horrible. I know. At this time. <laughs> like, what the shit? Lord Cornberry? <laughs> Lord Cornberry. Really? 
There were still lords <laughs> that he went by Lord. I mean, this was before the revolution. So yeah, oh, there were okay. still lords. So, and I'm, and I'm sure there's still, there were still lords in England. I think there's still lords in England to this day. Yes, there are still lords in England, but we're talking about yeah. in the United States, but I guess it wasn't. Yeah. USA was, proper. Yeah. Yeah. He was a royalist governor and he was Lord Cornberry. Like I said, this did him no favors and got him into several political fights, but eventually all of the fighting became tiresome and Daniel retired in 1714. So on top of the supernatural accusations, you've got the political accusations against him as well. So he's not a very popular figure and the Leeds family is not a very popular family. But Daniel's son Titan stepped up and took over the family publishing business after Daniel retired in 1714. But little did Titan know that a future founding father was paying attention to the embroiled Leeds family and would soon become a thorn in in Titan's side. So, taking his cues from the very popular Leeds Almanac, Ben Franklin began publishing Poor Richard's Almanac in 1732. But Ben Franklin did not believe in astrology. And being aware of the Leeds fight with the church and the supernatural stigma against the family, he decided to pile on and make fun of the Leeds' superstitious beliefs in the first run of Poor Richard's. Franklin jokingly wrote a piece that used astrology to predict when Titan Lee would die. This piece said that Titan would die on October the 17th of that year. And when October the 17th rolled around, Titan, of course, did not die. But in the next Poor Richard's, Ben Franklin published a fake obituary for Titan. <laughs> Damn, that's Ben Franklin petty. had a sense of humor that was really oh, yeah. nasty. Shit. He was a trip, man. <laughs> so petty as fuck. But Titan was utterly pissed about this. So in the next Leeds Almanac, he proclaimed that he wasn't dead. And he also printed that Ben Franklin was, quote, a liar and a fool. So Franklin didn't take that lying down. And in the next Poor Richard's Almanac, he posted that Franklin, Franklin responded that Leeds was in fact dead and that the proclamation of him not being dead and the name calling had not come from Titan Leeds himself, but from Titan Leeds' ghost. <laughs> ben oh Franklin my God. That's cool. <laughs> yes. So for years, Franklin kept up this joke, only ever responding to barbs from Titan as responding to Titan Leeds' ghost. And he did this until about 738 when Titan Leeds actually did die. And Franklin, in that next piece of, in that next almanac, posted another, published another piece, and in it, he thanked Titan's ghost for stopping and quote-unquote giving up the charade that it was Titan. So, you've got Ben Franklin adding on to the supernatural myth that goes along with the Leeds family. And all of this got them labeled as devils. And before and during the American Revolution, there were rumors abound about this family. And it's here that we see the seeds of legend being planted, purely as a nasty rumor and a way to demonize a family of outsiders. Therefore, the Jersey Devil legend is blown out of the water, as most likely it was a rumor that got started and grew hair and then became so ingrained in people's minds that it became a fact and became a legend. Mm -hmm. So the legend is nothing more than good old-fashioned colonial slander and libel. So that's where the legend comes from. Now we have to talk about the physical descriptions of the creature and what people may have seen ever since the 1700s. Yeah, I was going to say, what the hell did people see? Because you have all these people who have quote unquote seen Mm -hmm. things. Yes. 
So one of the possibilities that some of these people may have seen the Sandhill Crane, and I believe we have a picture of a Sandhill Crane if Brittany wants to throw that up. This bird is massive and tends to get blamed for quite a few cryptid sightings. Skeptics like to blame it for being the culprit behind the Mothman. So why not here? It's about 12 pounds, four feet long, and has about an eight inch wingspan. It makes a high pitched whooping sound and hops and makes weird movements, which if a colonist or someone who had never encountered the bird, they could probably mistake it for something supernatural. The bird is downright scary and could be quite devilish, but it doesn't really account for some of the accounts that the devil's appearance made up. Yeah, for. that doesn't account for the hoof shaped mm-hmm. prints no. in the snow. It doesn't account mm-hmm. for the size. Yeah, that that does. Mm-mm. Yeah, that only accounts crane. for the wings and the crane legs. That's all yeah. that accounts for. It does look like a head of a ram or anything like that. No, I think maybe what McCowan saw. He said, look, eagle-like and was kind of hopping along his footpath. I think that could be what that was, but I don't know. Now, another possibility is that it's the hammerhead bat. And I think we have a picture of a hammerhead bat mm-hmm. as well. If you look mm-hmm. at the hammerhead bat, it looks like some of the traditional drawings of the Jersey Devil. It has That's pretty almost, close. Yeah. Like it has an almost uncanny resemblance. And it seems to match the descriptions of several Jersey Devil encounters. The only problem is that the hammerhead bat is native to Africa. And it requires a tropical climate to live in, of which New Jersey just doesn't have. And it requires lots of tropical fruits to survive. Also, New Jersey has none of those. Now, it's entirely possible that one could have stowed away on a ship and made its way over here. But it wouldn't survive very long and definitely wouldn't reproduce. So that kind of rules out the hammerhead bat as a possibility. I think it's too cute looking. No, it's pretty. Could have escaped from the zoo. I wonder if the zoo at that time or their animal collection might have had one. Because we're I mean, saying that there was a zoo at the time, because that's how they might know what a hyena sounded like. Oh, like well, I that mean, was that was in the 1900s, but now we're talking about sightings that go all the way the hell back to. I mean, it could 1730s. Yeah, I mean they so, they ain't gonna have a zoo back then. But there there were ships coming from Africa. I mean, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it's possible. But is is it, it possible? Yeah, you can't rule it out. I mean, it's yeah. possible. It definitely is. But it, like there wouldn't be a large population of them. It, it wouldn't be able to reproduce. And maybe one of the one-off sightings could have been a could have been one of those bats. But maybe I don't know. Now another possibility is it could have been just mass hysteria. You know, people snowballing on what type of other people had seen, and, and they convinced themselves that they saw something and maybe didn't see anything at all. It was just they were caught up and swept up in the excitement of what was happening in the area. They were so spooked that anything that moved in the forest they thought was mm-hmm. this creature. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, the final possibility, in my opinion, is that the Jersey Devil could have been a tulpa. So, if you've listened to the show or any other shows about the paranormal, you chances are you've heard of the tulpa. And a tulpa is an entity that starts out as an idea or a concept. And through pure will or focus from one or numerous individuals, the idea becomes a sentient, tangible being. The best part, the best example of this being the Slender Man. The Slender Man technically doesn't exist, but he was created because he, he was created as part of an internet forum. But he became very popular and a very spooky subject across the internet. So you had him at the top of mind and numerous people thinking about him, and people were constantly thinking about the Slender Man. So then all of a sudden you had countless people begin swearing they had encounters with him or an entity like the Slender Man. And then you had people who had never heard of him but found out about him later and were absolutely dumbfounded because they had experienced that entity. Therefore, the Slender Man was created out of thought 
and the will of the populace, becoming a true tulpa or thought form entity. I think this may be a similar case with the Jersey Devil. So many people grew up with the legend since the 1700s. It's one of those things that permeates culture. So the Jersey Devil has always been top of mind and has always been top of mind for the residences of the Delaware Valley. They put so much energy and so much thought into something that maybe something crossed that barrier and became real, which is why I think the description of the creature is all across the board, especially during the 1909 panic. Yes, you had newspapers for mass communication, but that was about it. So people were hearing reports of strange creatures outside and in the woods, but everyone has a different idea about what a devil is and what it's supposed to look like, which is why you had so many people with different interpretations of what they saw. Some saw feathers, some saw scaly fire breathers, and others saw creatures covered in hair. So while I do think there may be something out there roaming the Pine Barrens, I think whatever it is is up to interpretation. But if you roam the Pine Barrens late at night, you may come face to face with it, and you may not live to tell the tale. So, what do you guys think it is? I I'm, Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm going to go ahead and roll, roll out Tulpa. Mm-hmm. Me um, too. Yeah, I, I'm just gonna just that one off the list. I know, but you always you you love your tulpas, damn it! I do. Like everything's a tulpa. <laughs> <laughs> not everything. No, I know not everything. <laughs> um, for me, I've got to look at around the time of whenever this this was taking place. You're talking mm-hmm. about the the first, I guess, half or first third, really, even of the 1700s. Mm-hmm. You're just on the heels of Salem witch trials. Um, I know that you say that all they had was newspapers, but that's the whole point. Because if you ever look at newspapers back then, I mean, yeah. they're printed itty bitty little. I mean, they are super freaking descriptive and very mm-hmm. like detailed in the story and, and building the story and creating all of this, these characters and everything like that, because that is all that they have. Of course, they didn't have Facebook and cell phones and, blah, 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 yeah, and yeah. all that kind of shit. Absolutely. So they had to really rely on the newspaper. Um, so this idea that the devil exists and the devil is in northeastern United States, exactly, mm-hmm. um, is very real to these people because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like today's time when we know the outcome of what the Salem Witch Trials really was. But mm-hmm. I think it was it was that perfect storm. It was it was the in, in my opinion, it's mass hysteria. Yeah. Salem Witch Trials is a case in point of that. I mean, that is Mm -hmm. straight up just mass hysteria. I think that you had somebody who did not like the Leeds family. Mm -hmm. They're the usual suspects. They're not well-liked. They're not very popular. They've got 847 kids that she keeps spitting out. Um, And finally, they're just like, you know what? We're just going to start this rumor about them. I mean, that's exactly how the Salem Witch Trials started. Mm -hmm. And I think that's this case here. This is this area Salem witch trial. And of course it didn't go as far, obviously, mm-hmm. but on top of that, it just built and built and built and built as for the dis- different descriptions throughout time. I think that are, that is people just building up on this legend, trying mm-hmm. to outdo one another. You know, if you, I mean, think of what they say, it has the, the body of a kangaroo and and all of a sudden, Oh my God, now, no, I saw it. And it has long shaggy hair. Oh no, I Mm -hmm. saw it. And it has scales and it breathed fire. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's like trying that one up, you know? So my opinion at the very end of all of the Jersey devil stuff is a prime example of case of mass hysteria that involves around and centered around a family that is the usual suspects coming right off the hills of the Salem witch trials. And this is a perfect setup to create uh, 
folklore to create a legend, a myth, you know, things like that. So I'll go walk the Pine Barrens because I don't think it exists. I don't think that it exists either. I think there may be something out there that isn't the Jersey Devil. It could be some creature that maybe because there's a lot of people to this day that continue to have encounters with something out there that has scared the shit out of them. So there could be something out there, but the Jersey Devil proper, I don't think that's what it is. Like you were saying, I think that you have the folklore of the Jersey Devil that was pinned on top of a family who was not well-liked. And so on top of the folklore, you then you have the mass hysteria event. And I just, I'm with, I, I think it's a lot of people freaking out for no reason. Well, well it sucked back me, then, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Just, just let me make it a straight sweep across the board. I absolutely think it was mass hysteria. I think that you see this and you see this and oh my God, and I see this. And, mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes that, I mean, we all know that if you got 20 people in a room and one person says they see something, everybody is suddenly going to start looking for it. They're going to start looking to make that fit what somebody told them that they saw. Mm-hmm. And again, you've got if everybody's saying they're Jersey Devils out there, then anything that someone sees, oh, it's the Jersey Devil, because they can't explain what they saw. So I, I'm kind of with you. I don't mm-hmm. do. I think it, there is probably a creature. There probably is. There are probably several. You're talking about forest and woods that have not mm-hmm. hard to get into, hard to explore. There's uh, nothing lots out of there. It, yeah, a, a, there's so could there be creatures we don't know are out there? Absolutely. Could they have all been seeing the same creature? More than likely not. The descriptions mm-hmm. are diff- too different. But because we have this Jersey Devil panic, um, I think that anything they saw that they couldn't explain, they said, oh, it's the Jersey Devil. So I I, I think it was a, a hysteria. I think it was this mass panic of, oh, my God, what did I see? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think at all that Miss Miss White saw a fire breathing dragon. I, I mean, no. I think Miss White had been having a little nip or something before uh, she went outside to hang up her boilers. It's, it's yeah. lizard people. It's lizard yeah. people. That's what you it know. is. So yeah. So I think that uh, I think she might have said that because she had a little too much drink and she passed out. Um, <laughs> so you know, it was the Jersey Devil, honey. It scared me. Who? No, I had to have some smelling salts. That's why I smell like <laughs> this, baby. Um, so yeah, I. <laughs> I'm in agreement. I think there's probably something out there. I think there's probably several somethings, but I don't think it can be contributed to one creature. I will say if anybody who is listening to this has had any type of experience or anything like that, then, then tell us about it. Let us know about it. You know, I mean, we'd love to hear it. Number one, because listen, you got the three of us. We from the South. We from Texas. We all the way down to Texas. (laughs) You know, the best thing we got down here is the Chupacabra. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think exists either. But anyways, uh, yes, he does. He's shut up. <laughs> I've seen this Paul though, so he's got to be real. Um, but anyways, no. Well, what chupacabra are you talking about? The goat sucker or the dog or the coyote with mange? The goat sucker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just yeah. Wow, we all agreed on mass hysteria. We did. I, I, I think that that's Mark the it only- down. Mark it down. I this think day that's in history. the only logical explanation for yeah. for all the sightings in such a short period of time and them all being described differently. Had they all had the exact same uh, story of what they mm-hmm. looked like, I might be inclined to go with there's this creature go flying around. But mm-hmm. again, 
I'm sure every newspaper reported something slightly different because oh, every story every storyteller wants to be better than the last. Mm-hmm. They want to show you their skills. Even in the newspaper, if it's an editorial, you know, they can say whatever they want. You know, they're not having to report the mm-hmm. hard news. They're saying their opinions and their comments. So I think everyone tried to one-up each other. And so whatever newspaper you read is what you thought you saw. So. Well, and, and too, like I said, when I was doing the research on this, there were hundreds of stories of people that claim they saw something during Phenomenal Week. I mean, stories on stories on stories on stories. It's really interesting. If you want to go and find them, you can go find them and read them. It's pretty to see how newspapers worked back then, too. Um, it's really interesting to read. But I mean, mass hysteria all the way around. And, oh, and a lot of newspapers had newspaper wars. Where oh, yeah. if, if, if just like you said, with with uh, poor Richard's almanac and then the Leeds almanac, you know, they were one upping each other. And sometimes it became a war of words mm-hmm. and you'd have to buy one paper to see what they said about the other paper. Then you have to see what the other paper's response was. And that was a way that a lot of newspapers yeah. got sold was trade and trash talk. Well, too, so, and I think this is also around the time of yellow journalism, where they were just making up stories to see who could the most salacious stories and the craziest stuff to see who could who get could the most sell readers. the most papers. That's yeah. right. It was a it was a money grab, not necessarily a legitimate news Actual outlet. Actual journalism, yeah. Well, yes. and 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 the it was it was so easy to start something like this back then because if you really think about it, like the the area and the, what they believed and all that, everybody back then at some point was practicing some type of witchcraft let's just be honest whether that be actual white yeah. magic folk magic black magic i mean everybody was doing something back then mm-hmm. um well at least something that could get you accused of being a witch even if yeah. you made dolls you could be making yeah. hat or you made yeah. home remedies yeah. you know they could accuse oh, yeah. you of, yeah yes yeah. alchemy and, or not said alchemy no, alchemy's trying to turn metal into gold. Yeah, lead into gold. Uh, but whatever the, the herbal remedies, yeah, you could be accused of making potions. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And so, it, well, and then you you combine you combine that mindset right there that also this life sucks, everything's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got to go freaking work the land. That's all we got to do. They were only having children back then as basically a workforce. Let's be honest. That's why Miss Leeds popped out 13 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had land that they had to work. So yeah, entertainment at the same time. So apothecary, that's it. I couldn't think of it either. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Thank you Bill. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. I was in my head. I was trying to run through words and I was like, oh, what is that word? Um, <laughs> thanks, Bill. Um, I'm so, glad somebody smarter than us. <laughs> so you have that whole combination happening. And I think right on the heels of one of the biggest mass hysteria moments in the United States history, mm-hmm. it is the perfect storm that this creature comes to life. Mm-hmm. And it has just maintained throughout all the years. Well, Absolutely. and you know, if you, even if you went out and you planted your fields and you bent down on your hands and knees to say a prayer to the Lord above to please bless me with good crops, somebody could say you were saying a spell over your, you know, if you had a good year. Oh, he said a spell over his crops. Yeah, yeah. there were so many things that could get you in hot water yeah. or doing something. Uh, Just making yeah. political enemies, making enemies of the church, you know, from... Having doing a land dispute could get you yeah. accused of being someone mm-hmm. that was an enemy of the church, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I I think that, I, uh, gosh, how did we yeah. all manage to agree on this one? We've got to stop doing that. Well, I think it, I think <laughs> it's easy because we just kind of, we, we know that what's the easiest target to pin anything on? The devil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody's afraid of him. Nobody likes him. 
you know. Yeah. So I mean, of course, okay, we're gonna. I ain't afraid of him. Gonna, you know, conjure <laughs> well, it's, up it's, the devil it's that, here, and then like let's let's pin it on the group of outsiders in town, the one exactly. family that nobody likes. Let's also attach the them usual to that. suspects. Exactly, mm -hmm. absolutely. So, yeah. So. Mass hysteria all the way around. Wow. Yeah, yeah we got to quit agreeing like this. We got to quit agreeing like this. This ain't fun when we're not screaming at each other. And well, we don't really scream. Maybe next week. <laughs> Watch out, Bill. <laughs> well, I, I will say I watched a documentary where they had a priest, and this priest, I had to roll my eyes so many times. He was like, oh, it's demonic. It's totally demonic. It was summoned here. And I was like, and he goes out into the woods to try to like find the Jersey Devil, and he's like, I can feel it out here. It's it's a demonic. Pre I was like, okay, all right oh there. Oh my! All right, you there. know my Come thoughts on, on things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, the totally made up it, legend, but no one else can. Scene. Yeah, sure, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> It was tough to get through that documentary, and I say documentary very loosely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can I, imagine. Gosh, if we all agree we have nothing to fight about, I guess Blake, you ought to tell yeah, me. You want to know. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of announcements. We got to make just really quick. Oh, uh, uh, cool things. Too. Oh yeah, yes. absolutely. So first and foremost, a couple of things we just want to remind y'all. Uh, shout out to uh, Nick Sarlo and Nick Simons that we had on a couple of weeks ago uh, who are going to be doing Spirits in the Spring. They're coming yes. up April the 22nd at Broadhead uh, Manor in Broadhead, Wisconsin. Um, that one is a charity pair con. If you would like to attend, you could do a food donation for uh, $10 or $20 without your food donation. Y'all, they're going to have an amazing lineup of speakers. They're going to be playing games and having fun. They've got like something planned every hour on the hour uh, with a ghost hunt later on that night at broadhead manor um so y'all go check ticket That's that a is a separate ticket, ticket. so y'all by the way you know what it's for charity take your 20 dollars and your food donation Be worth every person. Bit it goes for a good cause absolutely mm -hmm. and then after that we've also got may the 12th and 13th if y'all would like to join us we are going to be speaking at the west texas pair uh, west, west tex paracon sorry uh in ballinger texas uh they're going to have another great list of of speakers and, and everything uh you they had the ability to investigate both the old park hotel and the run old runnels county jail as well um you can go to find them on facebook at the 2023 west tex paracon mm -hmm. uh that is our facebook page name and you can find the website to purchase your tickets also for another one in july if you'd like to follow us on up to kansas city we are going to be speaking at Metacon. Yeah. You can come join us up there. Uh, they are also going to have uh, wonderful speakers as well. We will be one of them, as well as 30,000 square feet of shopping fun and healing, as they say. I can't wait to figure out what that's about. So, Well, last time we went to a Paracon that had healing, I ended up with needles in my back. So, <laughs> And I have the pictures to prove it. Yes, you do. I got the pictures to prove it. I sure do. I need some good but, old acupuncture. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we will make sure we're going to share uh, all these links and do the promotions for these Paracons tomorrow make it easy for you to find so you don't have to go search them down if you don't want to we'll we'll pop it all up in a post for you tomorrow uh on top of that we have got tickets that are on sale we have got a two-night investigation at the old park hotel if you would like to join us that is going to be october 6th and 7th yes our first one for mm -hmm. april the 14th through the 16th is already sold out it's already sold out 
So we don't have tickets to that, but we have another opportunity in uh, October and we are going to be opening up the jail. So you will be getting the same exact place, same exact price, except one more location that night. So whatever social media channel you are watching us on, make sure that you following us across the board. we got a lot of fun stuff that's coming out. We are not just on the channel you're watching on. Uh, Go to the about me section of the bio sections or find our link tree link in the descriptions of the episodes. Click on that. Be taken anywhere that you want to go. Um, including our Patreon, which is only $5 a month. And for signing up, you uh, get, I believe it's just under 100 additional goofy-ass stupid videos, <laughs> uh, pre- and post-broadcast, which consists of the first 30 minutes prior to the broadcast and 30 minutes after the broadcast. Uh, you're going to be getting that as well. And yeah, you'll get up-to-date information, dates, times, and locations on where we'll be, what we'll be doing. We reveal everything on Patreon, just so that you know. Uh, and as yes, always... Has naked pictures. <laughs> you Wait, said Melissa, you wouldn't tell. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and as always, any questions, comments, or stories you'd like to share, those can be submitted to us at the EVPpod at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-E-V-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Like, share, and subscribe. And by the way, before we sign off, there is a little thing that dropped on Friday. Yes. On ScareNetwork.tv. And it is mm-hmm. the documentary Old Park uh, that was produced by Billy Lewis. And uh, it features Eric Connor from Epic Paranormal and yours truly and the rest of the people on this screen. <laughs> uh, everything vaguely paranormal. I hope you go and watch it. And please, if you watch it, tell us what you think. We were very excited. We were very proud of it. And uh, we hope you mm-hmm. like it too. So uh, scarenetwork.tv, go get the subscription, uh, get the app, download it wherever, and go watch it and let us know what you think. Check us out and tell us what you think, like like Shelly said. So for my partners in the paranormal, Mrs. Shelly Pruitt, Miss Miss, Shelly Pruitt. Miss Shelly Pruitt, Mr. Blake Smith. Miss, no, I'm just kidding. This this has been Everything Paranormal. We'll see you next Tuesday. Everything vaguely paranormal? Yes, it was. That's what I said. (laughs) We are off the chain.